Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, y'all, today is, is a bit of a sad day, as today we, we are wrapping up this series that we have been in for the last two months titled Upside Down. And in this series, if you have not been with us, we are exploring eight statements that Jesus makes right at the beginning of what is his most famous uh, and his longest recorded sermon. Uh, it has been dubbed the Sermon on the Mount. And because we arrive at statement number eight of eight today, uh, we unfortunately, we got, a, we got a tie bow on this series. Sad, I know, but again, I, I don't get to make these decisions. It's, it's a bit above my pay grade. Uh, you can maybe take it up with Jesus when you get to heaven if you feel like there should have been maybe a couple more or a couple less. Uh, these statements, they are traditionally referred to as the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitude, as uh, we've made mention of several times, is a term that uh, literally not a single one of you have ever used in a conversation ever, but because, again, you are smart people, you have paid attention, we have discovered, most literally translated this term, it means blessedness. Uh, but it's so much more than happiness or peace or like a serenity. It's underscored by God's grace in in the life of those who earnestly seek him. That is, you can't find or, or earn this type of blessedness. It's, it's something that has been reserved for those who truly follow Jesus. In, in that way, there is very much a divine component to what Jesus is talking about. It's, it's a glimpse into the divine. It's a glimpse into heaven, what life was supposed to be like before sin started wreaking havoc on us and all the people around us. And as we've made mention of throughout this series, it's, it's not something that, that we get to look forward to only in heaven, though that is true. This stuff can actually be a part of our experience on this earth as we, again, follow Jesus. But when you compare it to all that we experience in this life, all that would come natural to us, and hence the name of the series, it, it is entirely upside down. Now, if you haven't been here uh, for the entirety of this series, you can always get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcast. Now, hopefully, if you are new around here today, maybe this is your first time tuning in, uh, this message will hopefully tickle your buying bone, and, and you're going to want to keep leaning into this conversation. Again, go back and listen to those messages. In fact, a sentiment uh, that I hear over and over and over again from people who are particular new to faith is this idea of, man, I had no idea idea this was was in there. Like I had no idea that this stuff was actually in this book. People have all sorts of misconceptions floating around in their heads regarding scripture, this book that we call the Bible. And, and it isn't until they pick this thing up for themselves that, that they discover what a gift it is. I say it often around here. Don't, don't take my word for it. Don't rely on what you think you know about Jesus, that the God that, that we worship here on Sunday mornings exclusively by what comes out of my mouth. Like read this thing for yourself. God has, in fact, preserved this text for you. It is a gift for you. And I think you might be surprised at, at what you find within these pages. Every single week, if you join us in person, uh, we have free Bibles at Grumlaw Central, uh, or you can always download the YouVersion Bible app. It's a completely free uh, Bible app. It has like devotions on there, Bible reading plans, to just kind of help you get thrown into God's Word. Keep moving closer to Him, and He will always move closer to you. But, but without further ado, let's a little drum roll. Here is the eighth and the final beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But blessed are those who are persecuted because of their right living, 
for, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, me and some of my college buddies, uh, many of whom I'm still very close friends with to this day, uh, we would throw around this statement, and in fact, with some of them, we still say this statement pretty regularly to this day, that, that sort of sarcastically captures what, what Jesus was getting at here. Uh, we'll often say to each other, you know, we're, we're really suffering for the gospel. It's this kind of passive-aggressive gut check for each other when we say that, like really suffering for the gospel, we're really suffering for Jesus, where we will say it when, when we realize that what we just said or what you just said sounds absolutely ridiculous when compared to those in far worse circumstances than our own. Uh, for instance, let me give you an example. I, I don't drive a particularly nice vehicle by the world standards. It's a 2004 Nissan Pathfinder that, that is getting increasingly rusty by the day. And I'm just going to be really, really vulnerable right now. There have been a couple times, and it's literally just been a couple times. It's not a regular thing. Where I'll sort of glance around the parking lot at church, and I'll notice that, that just about everyone is driving a nicer vehicle than me, at least, again, by the world standards. And I'll start to throw myself a little bit of a pity party, like, oh, come on, I don't have a nicer car. In fact, one time I was sharing this with, again, one of these friends, and it's like, how come the pastor isn't able to afford as nice of a car as the people in the church? Like, ho-hum, woe is me. And, and then again, there, there's the line, you know, Shay, you're, you're really suffering for the gospel. Driving that vehicle that works perfectly, that has absolutely no issues. Or, or, or a buddy, for instance, decides to, to opt for the 50-horsepower engine on the back of his brand-new pontoon as opposed to the 120-horsepower because if you ever priced out a pontoon boat before, like most of the cost is like consumed right there in the back of it on the engine itself. And, and then a couple weeks later, like he has a little bit of buyer's remorse because he can't pull tubers quite as fast as his neighbor and the other boats are a little bit faster than his and like lamenting the fact that like, oh, my boat's a little bit slower. It's like, oh, man, you're really you're really suffering for the gospel with your brand new pontoon. It's like he used to be able to go out to eat every week, but now we can only go out to eat every other week. It's like, again, really suffering for the gospel. You, you track with me, you get the idea. It's this way of reminding one another that, well, we got it pretty good. That, that when it comes to following Jesus in 21st century America, even in a culture where admittedly the values are clearly heading in a different direction, the reality is, is we have it pretty easy, right? I mean, like by a show of hands, maybe those of you who are watching this morning, did, did, did any of you fear for your life as you tuned into Grumlaw Online today, wondering if you might be arrested for worshiping Jesus? H have any of you ever feared for your well-being, for, for instance, praying in public? I mean, sure, you, you might worry about the label that might be cast upon you or some sort of social stigma, but, but like actual concern for your well-being? Doubtful. For some of you, and again, you don't admit this to anybody else, but come on, let's just be honest. Your faith, very practically speaking, it hasn't ever costed you, well, anything or anything of significant value, something that you weren't able to kind of get over in about 30 minutes. But when Jesus says these words, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These aren't words just for those living in areas where your life might actually be on the line for following Jesus, places like China or North Korea or Afghanistan or Somalia, or words of comfort that were exclusively reserved for Jesus' disciples in the first century, most of whom would end up losing their lives in the name of Jesus. These are very much words for you and I. So how do these words apply to us as we live in an environment where, where Christianity is at least tolerated? Here's how I might recast these words for our modern American ears. But blessed are those who don't choose to avoid doing what is right 
in order to escape being harassed or, or avert loss. Because here's the reality. Uh, people in the first century, they were all about following Jesus when he was just going around doing things like turning water into wine and healing the blind and multiplying fish. I mean, who wouldn't be on board for all of that? No, people started dropping like flies once Jesus started opening up his mouth and saying things like this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, those who believe they're living the right way, but sinners to repentance. Which, by the way, when Jesus was saying this, he was actually talking to a bunch of guys, a bunch of very religious people who had been following all of the religious rules really, really well. So they're offended in this moment that Jesus is actually not so subtly implying that they need some help. But then at the same time, there's this other group of people who he is standing up for, who he's going, hey, like these people over here, leave them alone, who were for a moment, they were kind of excited that Jesus was taken up for them until they realized that Jesus just called all of them sick. And then they're all like, wait, wait a minute. See, when Jesus starts calling you to repentance, that there's this not so subtle implication that there is something wrong with you. Namely, that, that you are a sinner. So it's like, I, I like the Jesus who is all love and, and peace, like sort of like this big old Christian version of Woodstock, but, but I start to find some resistance creeping up inside of me when I'm confronted with the idea that I might not have it all together, that, that there's some stuff in my life that, that needs fixing. And, and what was true when Jesus was roaming this earth is just as true today. We see this all the time, even right here in this faith community, right here at Grumlaw, but we're certainly not exempt. That those who are new to faith, they'll typically follow some version of, of this pattern that I'm about to lay out. Number one, it's like something is wrong or missing, maybe Jesus can help. And there's nothing wrong with this, by the way. For most people, it's either a crisis moment where we feel completely desperate or we get sick of every worldly pursuit falling short, so we decide, okay, maybe I'll give Jesus a shot. God, by the way, he placed that void inside of you. It's one of our most innate desires. It's one of our most innate longings to go searching for God. So you start, you start looking for a church. You check out websites. You're perusing social media accounts. You're maybe even watching a couple services online like you're doing today. And, and eventually, maybe, you stir up the courage to actually show up. And after you show up, after you sit through a service in person, you think to yourself, number two, that wasn't horrible. I guess I'll come back. Now, I'm probably underselling it in some cases. Some of y'all, you are super excited to come back, but many of you, uh, if I'm being honest, you just kind of shrug your shoulders and decide, okay, yeah, again, that wasn't too bad. I guess I, guess I can give that another shot. Now, now, by the way, and again, this is definitely worth mentioning, uh, many people, they don't. But many people, they show up one time and we never see them again. And it's usually those, and admittedly, I'm generalizing right now, it's usually those who sort of pre-decided to come like one time to pacify someone in their life. It's like their wife's been begging them, so they finally decided to show up. Their child's been begging them, so they decided to show up. Their mom, their dad's been begging them, so they finally decided to show up. But, but they pre-decided in their mind that, that I'm only going to come one time. And in fact, about five minutes into the service, they decided, well, this isn't working and their mind was made up. It wouldn't matter if Jesus showed up in the flesh and started converting like a bunch of cups of coffee into a bunch more cups of coffee. Like You wouldn't come back. So scripture would refer to this, by the way, as a hardened heart. And I'm not making a joke of that. I'm just kind of pointing out the obvious. It happens all the time. Uh, but for those of you that, that do decide to keep coming back, oftentimes it gets to this place of number three, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed. I mean, every message seems to be directed right at you. 
You're bawling your eyes out during worship and you have no idea why. Your kids are having like the time of their lives back in Grumlaw Kids. Everything just seems so perfect. But, but eventually, and, and it might be a month into this whole experience, for others it might literally take years, but eventually something starts to like shuffle and happen inside of you. You start to feel c- convicted. That is, God is attempting to do some surgery in your life and, and, and you're not sure if you like it. I mean, you were on board when it was all fun, all encouragement, all the time, but, but, but then that message got preached and it, it felt a little too personal. You were thinking about that lyric from that worship song three days later and, and it felt a little too intrusive. Conviction begins to keep you up at night and, and, and there are areas of your life that, that you didn't even think you needed to feel conviction for. But by the way, many of you, you're, you're here actually right now. And it's a far more important point in your faith journey than you probably realize. It's the fork in the road when, when the Holy Spirit, that is God in spirit, starts, starts pruning and refining and, and molding you more into the image of Christ. That, that's the churchy way to put it, but more directly, what, what you're feeling is number four, wait a minute, this is really starting to mess with my life. God is starting to ask for access to my life. No longer is this just like this fun thing that I do on Sunday mornings. Like he seems to want to nose his way into the other six days a week. And from this point, again, if I'm just being honest, most people swipe left. Now, now, now that doesn't mean that they stop coming to church on Sunday mornings immediately or altogether, though that does sometimes happen. They just kind of slowly begin to, to check out. You begin to get more critical of our teams and the coffee and the music and the kids program that you were once in love with. Messages that at one point would have been so encouraging, life-giving even, are are now picked apart at nauseum. What used to be the best hour of your week is now something that you look for excuses to not show up to. Weekly eventually becomes monthly. Then once like every six weeks. Then we just kind of come at Christmas and Easter and, and then eventually, well, I just watch online now. And before you know it, as our friends to the South say, adios. Because let's just be honest, this, this crap got real. That Jesus, that the Holy Spirit started getting into your life. No longer could you, could you keep him at an arm's distance. And you weren't ready to give up all of that, or as it turns out, any of that. So, so you got out while you still could. Now, now ironically, uh, Jesus gives us a heads up about this. He makes it very clear that that he has no interest in kind of being on the fringes of our lives. It's exactly what what he meant when he would say, we find this in Mark chapter 8, another one of those biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. It says, then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is making it very clear. It will cost you something to follow me and probably way more than what you initially bargained for. So he implores us here to count the cost. Following Jesus will mean that you regularly and routinely give up what comes natural to you, what you want, what your flesh desires. He he is going to start messing with your life. So again, Jesus says right at the beginning of his most famous and his longest recorded sermon, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who don't choose to avoid doing what is right in order to escape being harassed or avert loss. You will be blessed when when you get to that moment in your faith journey, when you recognize that that God is beginning to mess with your life and, and rather than opting out, you lean in. You give him a chance. You, you swallow a dose of humility. Recognize that life hasn't gone particularly well with you calling the shots. And, and so you decide, well, I'll, I'll give Jesus a shot. It's like, all right, God, you, you, you really want me to stop sleeping with my girlfriend? I, I gotta be honest, I don't like it. But, You've shown me just enough to think that that you might be someone who is worthy to be trusted. So, all right, I'll I'll give it a go. It it feels like every Sunday you're you're telling me to stop drinking every night. And and I don't don't really understand why, but okay, I guess guess I'll trust you. So God, God, where did all this, where did all this conviction come from after, after I look at porn? Is, is, that, is that you, God? But, all right, I'll, I'll put the filters on all my devices and I'll, I'll give this an honest shot. So God, you want me to give some of my hard-earned money back to you? Are, are you serious? Are you out of your mind? It's like, fine. Sign up for that recurring giving thing. Let's let's see how this let's see how this works out. Y- you lean in, and initially, <laughs> I'm telling you, it'll feel good, exciting, even like oh my goodness, I think I'm actually doing something that God has asked me to do. Like it'll feel exhilarating. But the longer you follow Jesus, like actually follow Jesus, meaning you no longer treat the words of Scripture as optional where you opt into the stuff that sounds okay with you and opt out of the stuff that, that would call for wholesale change. You start listening and responding accordingly to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So, so you do things like that sound crazy to the world where you sell your vacation house, you give that away, you share your faith with that stranger. Uh, eventually, you are going to begin to feel like, like the odd man out, but the minority persecuted even. Friends who were initially excited for like this new chapter of your life, they're suddenly a little annoyed, critical even, because you used to be the life of the party and now with your sudden disinterest in getting bombed at every get-together, you're seen as the wet blanket. I mean, you're too good for everyone. When a friend asks you seriously, like, why don't you look at porn anymore? And you honestly share why you're labeled as a prude. When your parents find out that you give a portion of your finances back to the local church, seeds of doubt are planted when they say things like, well, you know, a lot of churches have really taken advantage of people. Be careful. Not not one of those scenarios, by the way, was made up. That's all real examples from real people in this faith community. Following Jesus will cost you something. Money, relationships, friendships, in some cases, careers, possessions, stuff you worked really hard to get and achieve. And Jesus tells you, you will be blessed if you don't avoid doing what you know in your heart to be right in order to escape being harassed or avert loss. In other words, you will be blessed when Jesus calls the shots. 
even in, and perhaps especially when, when it feels like the cost is just too high. That, that friendship, it just means too much. That item was, was supposed to be off limits. You'll be blessed, Jesus says, when you trust me anyway. E- even when you can't see the whole picture. I mean, after all, church, isn't, isn't that faith? Trusting Jesus not when, but especially when you have no idea where it's all leading? I mean, <laughs> if you knew, then, then of course you'd be on board. But, but then it wouldn't be faith, would it? I mean, come on, all of you watching right now, you know that God has your best interest in mind. I mean, after all, he, he already died for you. The God who did not withhold his one and only son, what else might he have waiting for those who trust him? Here's the reality, church, and you don't need to be a church person to actually get your head around this. A faith that doesn't cost you anything isn't isn't faith at all. It reduces God to nothing more than, than a genie in a bottle. A God who stands idly by waiting to do our bidding. But, but God isn't some impersonal cosmic vending machine. He's a deeply personal God. He has a mind. He has a will. He has emotions. And more than anything else, he wants a relationship with you. He just wants you. And, and as every single one of us know and have experienced, relationships are built on, on mutual sacrifice. Where you lay down your wants, your desires, your possessions for, for that other individual because you trust them, because you love them, because you care for them. And, and isn't it true that the more you lay down, the more you sacrifice, the stronger the relationship becomes? Isn't that true of your marriage, of your relationship with your children, your parents, your closest friends? And haven't you found that what you once thought to be some enormous sacrifice turned out to be not much of a sacrifice at all when confronted with your deep love for that individual? When we choose to not follow Jesus, when we choose to disregard the words of Scripture, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we're depriving ourselves of intimacy and deep abiding relationship with the living God. We continue to wait around in the shallow end of the pool, coddle a lukewarm faith, and we miss out on the richness of real relationship. That, that God, in fact, is, is waiting for all of us. And, and listen, God, he knew this wouldn't be easy for us. He knew that relationship, that money, that habit, that would not be easy to give up. Which is precisely why he, he is attempting to encourage us by sharing, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he actually continues. We get a little bit of bonus material here with this beatitude. He elaborates on this eighth and final one. He says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, in fact, he says. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, he's declaring, he's promising, hey, I have a reward waiting for you. If you endure, if you remain faithful, you will not regret it. There is a reward waiting for you, an eternal reward. I mean, remember, we only spend, best case scenario, about 90 years on this earth. 
but, but there is eternity coming after this, which is, which is a long time. Live your life with, with an eternal perspective. And when you do, you'll, you'll find yourself in good company. You'll be living like, like the prophets lived. <laughs> More importantly, you'll be living like Jesus, like, like your Savior lived. You will be blessed. Now, I, I want to leave us this morning uh, with a question. And it's a, it's a simple, in fact, it's a very predictable one. The question I would like you to ask of yourself is, hey, where am I avoiding doing what is right in order to escape harassment or avert loss? And I want you to keep in mind right here, right is a bit of a relative term. Because what God might be asking of you might be completely different for the you sitting next to you. Where has God been, been clearly speaking, clearly prompting and and you've been disobedient to this point because you're fearful that you may or, or you know you're going to be persecuted for your righteousness. Might it be that you finally move out of your boyfriend's place? It's like, but Shay, you don't understand if I do that, like the whole other family, they're going to think I'm a lunatic. It's going to cost more money. It's like, okay. Maybe it's time to finally give a percentage of your income back to the local church. But it's like, Shay, okay, that's going to be such a hard conversation with my spouse, my parents. It's like, maybe it's time to, to get baptized. It's like, Shay, if I get baptized, like, I, you don't understand, I got baptized as an infant. My parents, like, that's going to be confusing to them. Like, they're not going to understand. That's going to undermine how they raise me. It's like, okay, maybe God's asking you to, to stop drinking. Like, period. Maybe it's time to, to get rid of that toy, that, that possession that, that means so much to you. In fact, too much to you. Maybe it's time to speak up at work. To, to begin serving here on Sunday mornings. And listen, I get it. It feels like a great sacrifice now, but it, it won't later. In fact, I can almost guarantee you that you will wonder and you'll lament that it took you so long. Because with Jesus, it's, it's always worth it. He always has your best interest in mind. He's always trying to move you to the better that he has waiting for you around the corner. Jesus, he is always worth it. And as you follow him, you will be blessed. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that's the kind of God that you are. That, that with you, it's always better. Even in the moment where it's like, oh my goodness, it feels like we're giving up so much. It feels like we're making such an incredible sacrifice. I mean, usually you don't even make us wait. It's like literally moments, days, some cases, maybe weeks later, we're going like, why did I wait so long? It's like, God, you obviously have my best interest in mind. I mean, look at you, you, you would send your one and your only son to die for me. What else might you have waiting for me? I, I pray that we would be a faith community as I've been gosh, like really leaning into and praying over these last couple of years in particular, that we would be a faith community that is marked by our obedience. That when you prompt, when you nudge, when you move, when we read your word, and it's just so obvious, we would just take those steps. Trusting that, again, you're leading us to something better. You're a good, good father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.